0: Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 FM. My name is Wen Chan, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Adam and Eve is Edmonton's only feminist news radio show. We are adamant on highlighting, discussing, and engaging with feminist issues across Edmonton and around the world. For today's episode, we're excited to feature a conversation about policing and sexual violence. To be open about potential conflicts of interest here, I connected Adam and Eve contributors Michelle Dang and Rose Eva Forks Jenkins with the director of the University of Alberta's Sexual Assault Center, Samantha Pearson. I'm a volunteer with the Sexual Assault Center, but was not part of the conversation. We are also privileged to include members of the No Cops on Campus Collective, Shima Robinson and Kendra Cowley. For a little background about these groups, the U of A Sexual Assault Center provides crisis intervention support to survivors of sexual violence and their supporters, as well as comprehensive educational workshops for the campus community. No Cops on Campus is a collective of students, instructors, and researchers at the University of Alberta who demand that the university divest from policing and invest in non-carceral forms of safety and support. Stay with us to hear, alongside many other important points, how the current judicial and police systems are set up in a way that often fails to center the needs and well-being of survivors of sexual violence. Additionally, how we can imagine and create alternative ways of keeping each other safe.
1: Hello, my name is Rose Eva fork Jenkins. I use she/her pronouns and I've been a producer at Adamant E for 8 years.
0: Hi, my name is Michelle Dang. I also use she/her pronouns or they/them pronouns and I've been a producer on Adamant E for about a year and a half now.
1: So we're here today to talk to some of the folks that are working at the Sexual Assault Center, as well as the No Cops on Campus group. And we're here to talk about uh, some of their initiatives and see how they uh, intersect and work together. So to start things off, let's have everyone introduce themselves with their pronouns and talk about their roles with these community groups.
2: My name is Sam Pearson. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm the director at the U of A Sexual Assault Center. Uh, where I've worked for about eight years now. And I'm here to talk a bit about Sexual Violence Awareness Week and and the topic of policing and sexual violence.
3: Hi, my name is Shima Robinson. My pronouns are she, her. I am a member of the collective known as No Cops on Campus.
4: My name is Kendra Cowley. I use she, her pronouns. And I am also part of the No Cops on Campus Collective and a grad student at the URA.
0: So first, just to start us off, uh, what is Sexual Violence Awareness
2: Week and what does it hope to bring attention towards this term? So Sexual Violence Awareness Week is a biannual, it happens once each semester, event that is meant to bring awareness to a specific topic that interrelates to the issue of sexual violence. And this semester, the topic is policing and sexual violence.
1: So if you can tell us a bit about No Cops on Campus and how it fits into sexual violence and policing. Yeah, so
4: No Cops on Campus is a collective of students, researchers, academics at the U of A and folks who are invested in seeing the removal of cops on campus. We started meeting this summer, a few of us, to compile information on the relationship between the University of Alberta and EPS. And this sort of emerged in the context of, you know, mass uprisings against anti-Black racism and police violence in the states and elsewhere. At that time in Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton Public School Board and the City Council hosted open meetings for folks to come and speak to their experiences with police both in the community and in our schools and so there was a lot of pressure happening locally and nationally internationally around this defund the police abolitionist push that we were experiencing and we thought it was important to look into the relationship that we have with the police and all the different sort of spaces that we exist in and so for myself, I'm a grad student, I spend a lot of time at the U of A. And so we started looking into this relationship between EPS and the university. And um, we compiled this information uh, specifically about the police liaison officer program, which is a joint partnership between the U of A and EPS, in which an EPS officer is embedded in UAPS and is on campus to, in their words, help create sharing across UAPs and EPS, to continue to surveil and monitor, quote, prolific persons and uh, increase security on campus. So we have come up with some demands, suggestions, strong suggestions uh, in this report, along with some FAQs, And we hope that this report will accompany a letter that we will be sending to the university to come out during Sexual Violence Awareness Week.
3: In light of the upcoming Sexual Violence Awareness Week on campus, uh, I think the issue of policing is uh, thrown into the forefront because of the generally ineffectual approach police have to dealing with incidences of sexual violence From just the general culture around the processing of victim statements to the general facts that policing doesn't really prevent crime, it might be said to respond to it. Though we, I think, understand that that doesn't happen as effectively as different policing entities would like us to think. And so when we talk about the prevention of sexual violence, there are a lot of largely unexplored avenues of social intervention that can help to uh, lessen and hopefully end sexual violence on campus that are not being looked at, that are not being funded because a lot of money, time and energy is being devoted to these policing efforts that are articulated by the agreement with the police liaison officer program. The no cops on campus counter proposal offers some insights into the function of that agreement, its track record thus far, and then also ways in which we can divest and divert energy attention and funds from that toward other resources in our community, both off and on campus, that can address the problem of sexual violence on campus more effectively.
4: Yeah, and I would just add that actually quite often police, And other sort of agents of the state are the ones who are perpetrating violence themselves. In the case of the university, we know that there's a huge power differential between students and faculty, which impacts who's believed when questions of consent are brought up. Something that I found really impactful that Miriam Kaba often says, who is a prison abolitionist and transformative justice advocate, is that the current system is so bad that people would rather call no one than call the police. All the reports that the Risk Management Services Department has done on campus, in which they cite the prevalence of rape culture and sexual assault, none of the approaches to safety on campus really take into consideration not only the inability and the unwillingness of the police to respond to sexual violence, but the fact that they are also often perpetrators
1: themselves. Thank you so much for explaining that. One thing that really sticks out in my mind and that I often think of is, you know, kind of like you talked about, Kendra, we hear many people who report sexual violence to the police only to be re-traumatized in the process. So uh, my question is, uh, what is the best way to support victims while they pass or choose not to pass through the judicial system, which as we know, is very um,
2: flawed? So this is a system that we've sort of offloaded our moral responsibility onto to help differentiate between good and bad. And so for a lot of folks in our community, you know, that's seen as the way to hold somebody accountable for the harm that they've caused. Like that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and as a support agency, we have to and want to encourage folks to identify the path forward that feels right for them and makes the most sense and help them navigate that to the best of our ability. So I think even approaching The experience of somebody reporting to the police with, you know, a survivor-centered framework. We want to provide folks with as much information as possible to make a fully informed decision based on as clear as possible an understanding of what that reporting and investigation process might involve so that they're prepared and so they know they have off-ramps. So giving like a safe space to navigate those things. I would say, as a member of the community, opening your mind to and learning about other forms of accountability and justice and ways to achieve healing. So even holding that space of possibility for the folks we care about, I think is really powerful because it's that being inventive, invested in community and and transforming the conditions that allow violence to happen. That's what's really going to, I think, create change and create more opportunities for, you know, real justice and real real healing in our community.
0: I guess on the other hand, when talking about systemic transformation, we're often met with questions like, what about rapists? So how would we deal with finding justice without the legal
2: justice systems involving police? It really irks me as somebody who's been in this field and in this work for a while, because I think the issue of sexual violence is so often used as like a trojan horse for a politics that's really just interested in punishment and that's informed by racist, sexist, homophobic, classist, transphobic ideas of like what good and bad are. So it's under this guise of like protecting people, largely white women in the the social idea of who is a survivor. But in reality it's pushing an agenda of further violence. And I think, you know, there are a lot of things wrong with that statement. So first of all, saying, what about the rapist really posits people who've caused that harm as like deplorable deviants that as a community, we like couldn't possibly engage or support in any meaningful way, as opposed to the people who like make up our friend group, our family, partners, lovers, et cetera, which is in reality, the, the case more often than not. And then but it also assumes that police are capable of dealing with sexual assault, which is not actually the case. (laughs) They don't really have the skills by and large to understand the issue. They're not in a position to act in like a trauma-informed, supportive sort of way. They're there to ask invasive questions and really support the rights of the person who was accused, which certainly should always be considered. But that balance is really, really skewed. And the reality then being that, you know, police are, again, re-traumatizing community members, perpetrators of further racialized gender, classed sexual violence. I think it's just important to even interrogate that idea um, and think about the sort of logical fallacies we're feeding into when we fall back on that line of reasoning. And I think this reliance on police as a society as a whole and on campus specifically, like I said, is sort of offloaded our sense of like what's right and wrong, or you know, the messiness in between those two ideas. And so, we've sort of stifled our imagination around what is possible and our responsibility to one another, and our capacity, I think, to care and to find really neat interventions to help ensure like the safety and well being of one another you know I should recognize especially when i'm talking like this and about campus i think we're talking about like mainstream really white western upper middle class ideas about what healing and justice means so there's like a strong vein of transformative justice and restorative justice community accountability practices in queer and racialized communities that's existed for as long as we've been doing things the way we've been doing them, and, and before that, when we say, I just can't imagine what we would do, we're ignoring all of that work that has always been happening to keep queer and racialized communities safe and intact and care for like everyone in those communities. I think there's lots of great work to illustrate those practices and what you know it means to have a, a network of care in your community that you can call on when you're experiencing intimate partner violence how to have conversations with your friends or you know, with people in your community who are engaging in that kind of violence and even formal processes to sort of bring folks together through that violence to articulate the harm that was caused, understand it, and then find ways to repair that harm.
1: And so to build off of what you mentioned, these communities of care and how to build that capacity of care, um, I'm wondering the ways that we can build or support existing community infrastructure to provide alternatives to policing.
3: The counter report and proposal speak to a lot of alternative measures or ways of going about dealing with issues that police often or traditionally will address. And I think the notion of communities of care specifically speaks to a confluence of efforts from a lot of different community groups, organizations, sectors, et cetera, to uh, come together, to continue to build contemporary understandings of how care can be enacted and flourish in communities. And I, I don't think there is a discrete or exclusive roadmap to getting there. I think that this type of work relies, as Sam was saying, Heavily on the imagination as well as on the historical legacy of communities of care uh, keeping people safe. So, the proposal part of the counter report goes into a few different pathways for action. There are some things that are specific to first getting cops off campus. So, things like stopping ID'ing students on campus, revision of the Code of Student Behaviour, the redirection of funds allocated to the UAPS program, and of course the ending of the Police Liaison Officer program are just a few. The point is that there are multiple ways of approaching this issue, and I think it is imperative that we get together to create space for that endeavour because it is very difficult to realize such a collective goal without having those connections. And again, of course, it's, it's COVID time. There's a lot of restrictions around connection and community development or community engagement. And so what we need to do, in my opinion, is be more intentional about that. And being intentional about that involves this type of planning and, and action.
4: Our intention with No Cops Off Campus is not to go in and suggest that we know the right way for people to seek justice or to suggest that something new needs to be built when these structures of support and care and community already exist and often exist outside of the purview of the university. And so finding ways to provide support for those who are already doing this work and That can look like a lot of things like taking on some of the burden of educating others or educating ourselves about police violence and transformative justice. Something we've talked a lot about with the Snow Cops on Campus is um, we're writing to the university to end this police program. And that's important, a really important condition to allow alternative forms of justice to flourish. But I'll speak for myself here. I'm not investing anything in the belief that the university will keep us safe. There's a positive ask in some of our recommendations, which is a reallocation of funds, which we would like to see in the hands of like a coalition of folks who are committed to transformative justice. And so there's that sort of positive side of things. But I think sometimes the best we can ask for in terms of the university is the negative, which is the elimination of the presence of police so that the folks who are already doing the work of supporting each other don't have to contend with an additional site of
2: violence as they do that work. I would love to add also that like, there is sort of this underlying assumption in the question of what is going to replace the police that policing does anything of benefit to our community. We, again, have offloaded this idea of like prevention and also addressing crime and and violence onto policing. And we use it as a catch-all and a a sort of safety blanket to feel safe in a world that is not very safe for lots of people. You know, I, I understand that piece. And the reality that we have to contend with is that we don't have a system right now that cares for people or provides them pathways of healing or justice. You know, there are things that we need to create and that will emerge to replace policing in different ways or aspects of policing. And then there are already things that we do all the time to keep ourselves and each other safe. A lot of the work that we do at the Sexual Assault Center on campus is to try and and come back to those values of community, of empathy, of my well-being being inherently wrapped up in everyone else's which I think is especially important when we're living, working, having fun, creating relationships in an institution that's also inherently violent and that promotes competition, hierarchies, and, and the idea of better than and less than. So we need to build those values up. And to me that that's part of this prevention work, which is part of establishing a community of care. And that. I think is so within the realm of possibility. So uh,
0: systemic transformation is not, not easy and it takes a lot of work. So how do you all personally not lose hope and continue to fight for change and create change?
3: For me, it is a matter of my own vocality and keeping inspired, energized, cared for in, this, in the realm of like self and community care and rested and all those good things. I am... Involved in multiple ways in my community, including No Cops on Campus, but also that stems from being involved in the defund the police campaign that was contributed to by BLMYEG. I work on campus and then I also am a master's student at the U of A. All of my community involvement, all of my artwork, I'm also a spoken word poet, creates a confluence of these different inspirations and experiential learnings for me that help me to push forward in different ways that keep that resolve kindled. Uh, communication, consistent communication, and open communication with people who are in solidarity with the different movements that I support and am supported by is really key. So for me, it's about, to put it simply, keeping busy and not letting myself slip in the recognition of the amount of support, the prevalence and legacy of communities of care and kinds of care that I want to see flourish and to educate myself consistently on those. To be totally
4: honest, I do lose hope sometimes.
3: And
4: in those moments, I'm really grateful for the fact that I have been able to surround myself with and build relationships with people who will hold my hand and pull me along as I continue and for whom I can do the same when they're feeling at a loss or feeling the heaviness of this sort of work. Something that Shima said that really resonated with me is this idea of keeping busy, which is not to say that... Rest isn't important and slow work isn't important because it is, and self reflection and all those sort of things. But I know that for myself, you know, sometimes I really feel the hope and the excitement and, you know, the possibility in a project. And sometimes I don't. (laughs) And in those moments, I still have to ground myself in the commitments that I've made to be in the world in a particular way, to show up with love consistently and to continue to try to do less harm. And I find that sometimes looks like just doing the work, even when my heart isn't fully there
2: quite yet. For me, especially in the last couple of months, there are mornings where I wake up and cannot talk or think about sexual violence or hear somebody talk about an experience of sexual assault. I think to honor those moments, I've been doing a lot of grieving and crying, you know, not trying to hold on to that and release it a little bit. At the end of the day, I want to be here. I want to be in this world and I'm engaged in my community. And this is the way I know how to do that. And so I try to reframe it as a why not? If I'm going to be here, then why not see the possibility and be in a good relationship to the people around me and my community and, and the world more generally I have a lot of things to give and I have a lot of passion to tap into when I give myself permission or the opportunity to see it that way. Yeah, I really appreciate your honesty and willing to talk about those
1: personal moments. And I think those are all very inspiring to think about the ways that, yeah, we can continue. And yeah, so just wrapping stuff up, I was wondering if there was anything that didn't get addressed that folks did want to talk about.
2: Something I did wanna mention is just the history of the contemporary anti-sexual violence movement or the gender-based violence movement that is so like come to be dominated by largely upper middle-class cisgender white women because of its roots in second wave white feminism. And I wanna recognize that history and that work and some of the important tools and understandings that came out of that. And also what sort of responsibility I think that puts on a lot of people like myself who are white women doing this work and, and frankly making money off of it as our profession. In some ways this anti-sexual violence movement has become inherently linked with policing. You know, there's a specific sort of violence that I think as a white woman myself and our organizations can fall into when we're so reliant on and differential to these like white patriarchal sources of power and control. And so what is the responsibility we have to recognize all the other anti-sexual violence movement that's been happening and has been happening simultaneously and to create space for that and conversations around that and to really speak out and decouple that connection between anti-sexual violence work and policing so that it doesn't seem like an inevitability because I do really feel within me that a lot of the work we've done has just further entrenched that relationship. I think there's like a lot of ownership we need to take over the violence that that's caused. And so I do really want to ground Sexual Violence Awareness Week in that perspective and to encourage folks in a similar positionality within this space to also do that self-reflexive work and take more of a mantle you know, around this call for defunding and abolishing the police in our carceral system, because we've done so much harm. I think we like to put that all off on policing and in that system more generally. But what piece of that do we have to own and make right? And how do we commit to that in like a really wholesome, sustainable sort of way? So we hope to weave that throughout Sexual Violence Awareness Week. Again, Sexual Violence Awareness Week will be happening virtually from February 1st to the 5th. And we have you know, a full week of educational workshops, like our our standard workshop that we offer on campus, folks can pop into and learn more about sexual violence very generally. And there'll be a lot of engagement from our volunteers on staff on our Twitter, as well as our Instagram. Um, And I'm hoping that we can have more conversations like that in the community to start to shift these attitudes and engage in that defunding and abolition
3: work be expecting the launch of a letter um, which will further articulate the perspective and aims of the no cops on campus initiative and provide some some points of information as well as an opportunity to take action on this issue
0: awesome well thank you all for being here today and thanks for having us That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Adam and Eve. We produce this week's show in our homes with the support of our host station, CJSR 88.5 FM. We recognize the land which we occupy in Miss or colonially known as Edmonton, Alberta is entwined with our own relationships and identities as well as the ongoing legacies and atrocities of Canada. We ask you to explore your own relationships further and how you see yourself connected and accountable to the people and land which we are on. A warm thanks goes to our guests from No Cops on Campus, Kendra Cowley and Shema Robinson, and the director of the U of A Sexual Assault Centre, Sam Pearson. To stay informed about No Cops on Campus, check out their social media. No Cops on Campus, all one word, or their website nocopsoncampus.com. As mentioned earlier, there's some super rad work to share soon to come. And once again for Sexual Violence Awareness Week, it is from Monday, February 1st to Friday, February 5th this semester. You can get engaged with the topic of sexual violence and policing within the U of A campus by participating in the activities on the center's social media. Their handles are at SACU of A on Facebook and UAlberta SAC on Instagram and Twitter. And their website is uab.ca/slash SACenter. Thanks for joining us today. I've been your host, Wen Chat, and I hope you have an adamant evening.